may be seated. At this time, let us together take our copy of God's Word and turn together to the Gospel according to Luke. Of course, that's the third book in the New Testament, the third Gospel. This morning, we will look together at Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. A familiar story we just sang about while shepherds washed their flocks by night was part of the reading for our Advent reading this morning. And of course, we are well into our series of looking at the Christmas story from the four different angles of the four Gospels. Matter of fact, we've made our way halfway through. We began with the first Gospel of Matthew. We looked at his telling the who of Christmas by recounting the genealogy of Jesus Christ in order to establish the identity of Jesus. To explain, especially to the Israelites, the Jews at that time, that the one born that day is Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed Messiah, who has come to save his people, the one who is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then last week we looked at Mark, and we saw how he explained the the why of Christmas, whereas Matthew looked at the who of Christmas, Mark was explaining the why of Christmas. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who came to call his people to repent of their sins and to believe in the gospel, to believe in the good news of who Jesus is, and what he has come to do in order to accomplish our salvation. So that brings us this morning to the third gospel, the gospel according to Luke. This morning we will look at the Christmas story according to Luke. So hopefully you found your way there to Luke chapter 2. Let me pray for us as we come together before God's word. Oh, we do come to you. We are thankful for this time we've had to spend in the gospels as we come to the Gospel of Luke and to the account of the shepherds uh, keeping watch at their flock and filled by night, may we be filled with the same admiration and joy and glory of Christmas. If we are honest, there may be times we just look at the Christmas story in a surfacey way. It's a feel-good story for us. But that night... Some 2,000 years ago, did not feel, did not start off as a feel-good, warm, fuzzy night for the shepherds. There is an awe to this story. And may we be filled with all of it this morning. So Lord, work in us in that way. Encourage us in that way. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem, and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And the grass withers, and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how it is in your family, but in our family, it's that time of the year where we watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. Not only do we watch it, but we have the soundtrack that we listen to. It's very much a part of our, of our family tradition. And if it's not a part of your family tradition, then shame on you. You need to make it part of it. It is a wonderful little show. It's a wonderful little soundtrack. And if you're familiar with it, you're, you're familiar with the story, and, and you know that the climax of this whole movie, this whole show, begins... When Charlie Brown is given the responsibility to go buy a Christmas tree for the Christmas pageant. And so he goes to the Christmas tree lot and he's immediately drawn to, to, the, to the sickliest, most pitiful Christmas tree you've ever seen. And so typical Charlie Brown fashion, he, he sees it, he buys it, and he goes and he sets it up. And when everyone shows up and they see this pitiful, sickly little tree... All the kids, even including Snoopy, begin to laugh and mock Charlie Brown for being Charlie Brown and doing a Charlie Brown thing and, and, and choosing such a horrible tree. If you remember, then Charlie Brown, in, in, in frustration and disappointment, yells out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? They've been preparing for his Christmas pageant play. He's gone by his Christmas tree. It's all falling apart. And he just yells out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about. And his friend Linus steps up and says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And do you remember what he does? He begins to recite this very passage. And in the same region, there are shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. It's a wonderful scene. It's a very touching thing, scene. And it's amazing to think that for now some 50 years, the gospel has been presented on network television. Now, of course, in a day and age, Apple has bought it and they're moving it over to their streaming service. So being broadcast nationwide in that sense is, is going away. But it's this very wise, it's very insightful, very touching gospel answer of what Christmas is all about. But there's a part in there that I think sometimes we miss. And you have to know the background to, to really get it. Charles Schultz, the, the creator of Peanut Strip, put this very meaningful touch to this scene. The character Linus is always carrying a blanket. And that blanket is described as being his security and happiness blanket. Matter of fact, we get our phrase security blanket from that. Charles Schultz in since invented that phrase. So Linus always has his blanket, his security and happiness blanket. Watch this show. Watch it again and look at what happens when Linus begins to recite this passage. Have you ever noticed what happens? He drops his blanket. And at the end of it, when they get the full shot, as he's finishing up reciting this Bible verse, there's his security and happiness blanket pulled at the side of him. It's this great reminder of where our security and happiness comes from. It isn't in that blanket. 
It's in Christ. Our security, our happiness comes from the fact that born to stay the city of David is Christ, a Savior. And so like for, like for Linus, this passage is familiar to us. It is, it is comforting uh, to us. Uh, we, we, like to, we like to read it. We, we, like, to, to, we like to sing it. It's, a, it's portrayed in our ornaments and our Christmas cards and our Christmas notes because it is familiar. It is comforting to us. It's a part of the biblical Christmas story that we know and love. However, when we read this passage, and I mean really read it past the surface, not just sort of the warm fuzzy of it, we realize that what's so warm and comforting and secure for us wasn't for the shepherds that night. Did you pick up on what happened for them? They were afraid. They were filled with fear. They were overwhelmed. And, and so when the shepherds think of the Christmas story, they're not filled with warm fuzzies and everyone was happy and content. It didn't begin that way. No, the Christmas story for them began with being confronted with the angelic glory of the incarnation. And that these, the, the, therefore, the shepherds were anything but, but happy and content. They were, they were frightened. They were confused. They were overwhelmed. And so Luke, in his typical thorough doctor manner, gives us details to help us orient ourselves to this story. In the previous verses, he has shared the details of Jesus being born in Bethlehem in a manger. Now he now he says that in the same re, re, excuse me in the same region there were shepherds. So as we find in scripture, this author is painting for us a, a picture, and so we can kind of paint this picture. We have this little town of Bethlehem, and, and it's nighttime, and so that the windows and the houses and the inn would have been lit by candles. And if we can see just just outside of town, just off in the distance, we see this group of shepherds and and their sheep and. So for the shepherds, it's just, a, it's just a regular evening. They're settling down. They're sitting around a fire. Maybe they're finishing up dinner. Maybe they're having a, a, a cup of coffee after dinner. And they're talking about the day. And they're talking about what's going on while some of them are getting the sheep ready for the night. And they can look down and they can see Bethlehem. And it's beautiful and it's cozy and it's night setting. And maybe when there's a lull in the conversation, they can, they can hear the faint cry of a baby somewhere in the midst of that little town. It's nothing unusual. It's nothing strange going on. Just regular shepherds doing regular shepherd things. There's nothing unusual to this. But for the readers of Luke, the original readers, there was something unusual. They're, they would have known something immediately that, that we don't. And that is for that time and culture, these shepherds doing regular shepherd things, they were despised people. They were a lower class of the lower class because of their work. Because they worked with sheep, they worked with animals, it often rendered them ceremonially unclean. And so because of how they were viewed, they would have been considered too unreliable to give testimony in the courts. If you had to go to court and you needed a witness, you wouldn't call a shepherd. People would allow you out of the courts. So it's not the sort of people you would include in the story of the birth of God. It's not somebody you would include as a witness that here's the birth of the Messiah, the coming of the King of Kings. But what does Luke say? Now in the same region, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. We see this thread in the Gospels of another group of nobodies, another group of insignificant people 
that God has sovereignly included and providentially prepared to be an integral part of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because if, if anybody else were to write a story of, of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, they probably wouldn't have started with a little girl like Mary. And they wouldn't have started with someone like Joseph, just a run-of-the-mill carpenter. And they would have said, hey, the first people that the birth is announced to is one of the lowest class of people out there. Yet that's the threat of the gospel, isn't it? This Christmas story, God uses a bunch of insignificant nobodies. It was to these shepherds, these insignificant nobodies, that God first chose to announce the birth of his son. He didn't go to high political people. He didn't go to the religious leaders. He didn't go to important cultural people. He went to the nobody of nobodies. He chose them to be integral parts of the Christmas story. Because God uses insignificant nobodies as integral parts of the Christmas story. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Because in the grand scheme of things, who are we? I'll tell you who we are. We're a bunch of insignificant nobodies. Now, we may have a name in this town. We, our family name may be on a plaque somewhere. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're just a bunch of insignificant nobodies. As far as I know, the president doesn't call any of you for advice. He may wish he would, but he's not. Why? We're just these people in Winsboro, South Carolina. Yet God has chosen to make known to us the same wonderful good news that he did in that first Christmas evening. Just like he went to the shepherds. Just like he included Mary and Joseph. He has made known to us, these people in Winsboro, South Carolina, Bethel ARP, the wonderful good news of the birth of his son. We are eternally glad that he has chosen us to hear and believe, aren't we? We don't deserve to hear this good news. We, we have no claim on it. But because of God, his gracious mercy chose us to make it known to us. That's wonderful grace and mercy. So we find these shepherds sitting around the campfire, drinking their coffee, getting ready to bed down for the night. And what happens? Out of nowhere, the angel Lord appears. And Luke moves along pretty quickly. I don't know how long the angel stood there in front of him. I don't think it was a long time. But it was enough time for the, for the shepherds to become fearful. It tells us they, they were filled with fear. So what's the first thing the angel has to say to them? Fear not. But why? Well, because we know from other passages in the Bible, it's, it's an overwhelming experience to have an angel appear to you. We go through the Old Testament, we find that when angels appear to people, what do they tend to do? They fall down to worship them. The angel has to say, get up, get up, get up. Just stop and get up. You're not supposed to worship me. It's an overwhelming experience to be visited by an angel, but Luke adds in another detail. It's not just that angel of the Lord appeared to them, but the glory of the Lord was shining around them. So again, let's paint this picture. Nighttime, they're sitting in front of a campfire. 
Stars are twinkling in the sky. Bethlehem is off in a distance, and cozily lit by candles. And the next thing they know, there's this brightness of the glory of the Lord surrounding them, and in the midst of this, there's a majestic angels standing in front of them. And, and, and the Bible tells us the glory of the Lord is a bright light that surrounds the presence of God himself, and sometimes it appears as a cloud, sometimes it's a bright light or a burning fire. Here it is a light. So you talk about your night taking a 180 degree change for these guys. It happens. They're enjoying a campfire. They're getting to go to bed. Now they have the glory of the Lord shining around them and an angel standing in front of them. No wonder they were filled with fear. No wonder the angel, first thing he has to say to them is, look, don't be afraid. If you and I were there, we probably have the same reaction. If we're just sitting here on a regular Sunday morning, and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears in front of us, and the glory of the Lord was shining around us, we probably need an angel to say to us, Fear not. We would need that, that reassurance, that, that, that calming down with the words, Fear not. And I think it's a good reminder to us. That when we really take in the Christmas story for what it is, there are times we probably need to be told, fear not. Because the very first indication for the shepherds in the Christmas story wasn't words. The glory, the first proclamation of the incarnation was glory. The, the first thing they knew that something was different was the glory of the Lord was shining around them, and there is an angel. That's how they knew something was different. Something was going on. Because here's this angel, and they're all surrounded by the light of God's glory. So before the angel says a word, they know there is something different. That's a good reminder to us that the Christmas story isn't meant to be a, like a hallmark, warm, and, and fuzzy sort of story that makes us feel good every year in December. It's a story about God's glory. It's a story that his glory is revealed in the sun. It's a story that his glory was pronounced to the shepherds. It's a glory that's still a part of the story. Why? Because the truth is still there. Born this day in the city of David is God himself. God in the flesh. God come to tabernacle with his people. And that's part of the glory of Christmas, isn't it? That God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, born in a manger, born in a stable, in the backwoods town of Bethlehem. Simply to grow up, to be put on the cross for his people. And that's the glory of Christmas. And that's the first indication of it for the shepherds. The angel says, fear not, why? Because he brings good news of great joy. I'm, I'm going to do a, a kind of theological, exegetical thing here and say, I think that's really an understatement, isn't it? Good news of great joy. This is the greatest news we've ever heard. We know good news. Right? We, we, we've, we've heard good news in our life. We've, we've gotten a raise. We're, we're no longer sick. Or our children are coming home. Whatever it is, we know good news. But this isn't just good news. 
This is the greatest news we've ever heard because it's news that changes. It's news that leads to everlasting life. It's news that thousands of angels come from come down from heaven to, to praise. Because it's the news of peace. Why was Jesus born to say and to say David to be a savior, to be the one who brings peace to God's people through salvation? And make no mistake, there's a reason why they were it was first announced to shepherds. Again, they are outcasts of society. No one wanted anything to do with them. They're dirty. They're raggedy. They probably have them showered in weeks and their hair is all messy and oily. They don't smell all that good. You don't, you don't want to invite them into your house and sit down on your couch next to them. Because they're going to stink, and you're praying to get a new couch after they leave. People want to keep them at an arm's distance. And I think it's a good represent, representation of us spiritually. That's the filth of our sins. And we see this from the garden onward. Because of the filthiness of our sins, God and His holiness has to keep us at an arm's distance. A holy God cannot abide with sin. And we are outcasts spiritually and holy because of our sinfulness. But it leads to a greater truth. And it's a truth that you and I as Christians, maybe we tend to forget. And it's to our own spiritual detriment when we do. That's what Paul says in Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies. Let that sink in. Paul, writing to a group of Christians, said at one time, you were enemies. But you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now we're reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? Before God saved us from our sins, we were his enemies. And, and, and scripture doesn't mean this as some kind of passive bystander sort of enemy where he's kind of standing to the side and going, eh, to the things of God. I can take him. I can't. The, the, the way scripture describes this is it, it's an active, we're an active enemy. If we're thinking about this warfare, it means we would have volunteered to go to the front lines because we hated God so much. And we would have volunteered to take in that rifle and put in God in our sights because we hated him so much. And we would have volunteered to take in that first shot on God because we hated him so much. This isn't ambivalence. This isn't seeking out options. As we said before, we were the sort of enemies that were honest ourselves before Christ. We were at the crucifixion. The day we would have heard about it, we would have ran from our homes and would have gone to the front, front row of the cross. And we would have been loudest and jeering. We would have been loudest and mocking. We would have been loudest and cursing God. And we would have joyfully spat on him. And when he breathed his laugh, we would have celebrated and we would have gone home and had a celebratory meal because that's the sort of enemies of God that we are. And because of that, we deserve nothing but the wrath of God. And we deserve nothing but the basement of hell. Make no mistake about it, the testimony of Scripture is very clear. Before faith, you hated God with every part of your being. We were hell-bent on our own sure, eternal destruction. 
And here's the other parts of the glory of Christmas. God made peace with us. Not by declaring a truce. Not by compromising. But beginning with the birth of the Christ child in the manger in Bethlehem. Not because we were worthy, but because we were loved. That is the good news of great joy. That peace for God's people was achieved through the anointed Messiah, whose comforts people come to be their Lord, come to save them, so he may graciously rule over their lives. It's the greatest peace announcement man has ever heard. You may be familiar with the story of the Christmas Eve truth from World War I. It's 1914. It's Christmas Eve and World War I was, was ramping up. If you know anything about that war, you know it was a war really of trench warfare. Hundreds and hundreds of miles of trenches. Men lived in them and fought from these muddy trenches that were sometimes only three feet wide and three feet deep. Days and nights were marked by an endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear. They lived off stale bread and tepid water and were given cigarettes that were too wet to light. In the evening of Christmas Eve 1914, the, uh, the, the shots had died down and it was getting quiet. And some of the British and Allies began to hear across the bay, began to hear the Germans. And they listened, they realized the Germans were singing, which was odd wartime. But as they listened even more, they realized that the Germans were singing Christmas carols. They couldn't recognize the words, but they, they recognized the melody. And so as, as the British and Allies sat in their trenches and they're sitting there trying to process, why, why is our enemy singing Christmas carols? A heavily German accident voice yelled across the way, come over here. And one of the British sergeants wisely replied, you come halfway we come halfway. It's amazing what happens next. On both sides, soldiers begin to climb out of the trenches. And they begin to meet in the middle. This is called no man's land. It's, it's, it's filled with barbed wire. It's where their friends and colleagues have, have been shot and killed. And they drag them off of the way. It's this horrible, desolate place. And they meet there in the middle. And now, instead of shooting at each other, they exchange handshakes. And words of kindness. They began to sing songs together. They began to share with each other to, tobacco and wine. Some even began to play soccer with each other. It was this spontaneous holiday party in the cold night of Christmas Eve. Sadly, that peace ended. And within a day or so, the shooting resumed. And four years later, when the war was ended, there were some 40 million casualties. Somewhere between 15 to 22 million people 15 to 22 million people died. It's amazing to think there's a 7 million people difference in there, but that's how bloody and how horrible the war was. 15 to 22 million people died. Some 23 million people were wounded. So, of course, that one evening of peace in the midst of such horror would make news around the world and people were encouraged by such a show of peace and humanity. But here's the wonder of this. God has made a peace announcement with us that won't end on the evening of December 25th or December 26th. It won't ever end. Do you know why? 
Because the Father made it, and he sealed it with his Son. God has made peace, and he sealed it with his Son. He promises peace back in Genesis 3.15, where he promises to take on the evil one himself. And how has God fulfilled this promise? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God seals the promise with his own Son, Jesus Christ. The one who is the anointed Messiah, the one who has saved his people from the sins, that God came to save us, gave himself to save us, his own sworn enemies. Brothers and sisters, I will say this. When we think of the magnitude of that, then we can understand why thousands of angels would come down from heaven just to say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How can we not help but praise a God who would pay the price for peace for people like you and me? We're not just a bunch of insignificant nobodies. We're a bunch of insignificant nobodies who are enemies of God. And this God, who we have made our enemy, makes eternal peace with us through the person and work of the second person in Trinity. Listen, If that doesn't put a pep in our step, and that doesn't encourage us to sing the closing hymn with a little bit more pep in our voices, then I don't know what will. It it may be, to use another Christmas illustration, it may be you have a spiritual heart like the Grinch, a heart that's two sizes too small. Or to use a biblical illustration, maybe you still have a heart of stone that won't be bothered by the glory of the Christmas story. But understand the glory of it is so great that the angels had to come proclaim it. It's a glory so great that the shepherds would go out and tell everyone about it. It's a glory that still is true to this day. It's amazing to see what this glory does to the shepherds. They go from being fearful, frightened, and needing to be calmly assured to what? They said, we've got to make our way to Bethlehem. And so we can imagine these raggedy shepherds and they said, we got to make haste. And so we can imagine them, you know, their dirty robes flapping and their sandals like, flying off their feet. They want to go to Bethlehem. They want to see this Christ child. They want to tell Mary and Joseph all about what happened. And then they went home and they never spoke about it again. They went home and it had no change in their lives, right? And that's not how their story goes. They went back to the field. But they went back changed. And for the rest of their lives, they would tell anyone who came within earshot, have I told you a story that night? When I was with this group of guys, and we were out there keeping our sheep, and an angel came, and did I tell you I got to hold the Messiah? They went from frightened and disoriented, insignificant nobodies to faithful witnesses of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really a large part of Christmas story, isn't it? Like the shepherds, we're to be witnesses of this change. Because if you are a faithful Christian, it means at one time you were an enemy of God. And through Christ, the one born at Christmas Day, you now know eternal peace with God. And now through that peace, you know his love, his mercy, his grace, and his joy. And there's nothing more than you want than to tell others about it. And that's the Christmas story according to Luke. A truth of enemies so loved by the one they hated 
that he came to save them from their sins against him. And in that love of God, we love others and we share the story of love. And we go out to others and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me share with you the glory of the Christ child. And let me live my life in the light of this love and grace and mercy and joy. See, the Christmas story, according to Luke, is a story of a changed life. And may that be our Christmas story, that God has taken our heart of stone and given us that heart of flesh, because born this day in the city of David is a Savior, the one who has come to save me, an enemy, so I now may love him and follow him. Pray with me.